Welcome to the School of Calisthenics podcast with Tim and Jacko. Answering your calisthenics questions, helping you to redefine your impossible. If you want more great content from us, you can find us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And we've got a great YouTube channel where you can get in touch with us and ask your questions there. Let's get into these questions now. Hey guys, just a little quick note that this week is a special um, podcast again. This is one that we got invited to go on, Ridiculously Human podcast with uh, Craig and Gareth. Um, and we got stuck into some interesting um, topics going really into um, not just strains calisthenics, but a bit. We talk a lot more or they asked us a lot more about our personal backgrounds and how we actually got into the podcast though for those of you that might find that interesting um that well, tim gets bored of my story halfway through but um, i'm sure most of you will find it interesting yeah it was good it was good i've heard it a few times no <laughs> tim's heard it before exactly yeah. but they're a good couple of chinas that's also that makes sense we can listen to it and also it's worth listening just to hear dave's south african accent yeah um, so there's they're, they're two south africans but it sounds like there's three south africans in the podcast because mm. i'm giving my um local sort of Attempt at becoming a local. Attempt, yeah. Anyway, it's a very lacquer uh, podcast, shall we say. Um, that will make more sense if you carry on listening. So I hope I've not put you off enough that you want to finish and listen. But this is the um, podcast we did with Ridiculously Human. I hope you enjoy it. We're just two normal, real people just trying to teach other real people to be awesome. Join us on the Ridiculously Human podcast where each week we have fun and fascinating conversations with our guests. We explore their lives and what makes them uniquely human, just like us. (laughs) Episode number two, the ball is certainly rolling now. (laughs) Two in a row, yeah. (laughs) This was a really awesome and fun and interesting chat that we had with some seriously cool and and genuinely good Chinas, Jacko and Tim. We were really humbled by them agreeing to speak with us and give us so much of their time and be so open and honest with us. What we really loved about them and their message is that they wholeheartedly believe that everyone is the same and whoever you are, you're able to redefine your impossible. Jacko is an ex-professional rugby player and he played for Nottingham Rugby Club for 24 years. Unfortunately, a head injury, which was one of many, ends his career as a pro rugby player. Tim also played rugby at a really high level, and his career ended due to one too many shoulder injuries. He is also a strength and conditioning coach for the British Paralympic team, but together they are the founders of the School of Calisthenics. Yeah, and in uh, the podcast, uh, we discuss their childhoods and their upbringings. And we also get a lot into the injuries that they suffer throughout their careers. Uh, We find out how they ultimately meet each other. And then, you know, how the school of calisthenics as a business actually begins. The chat gets really fascinating when they explain how they train uh, Paralympic athletes and also explain the mindset of athletes with such disabilities you'll find that uh, these guys just have such great dynamics between themselves and they always try to bring out the the fun element literally in everything that they do. We really hope that you guys enjoy this chat as much as we did and please make sure to check out uh, Jacko and Tim 
and give them a high five or a human flag or a handstand when you see them. <laughs> Gareth, my boy, how's it going, my man? Great, guys. How's it going, China? How are you, buddy? Yes, it's pretty good, man. And how about you? How's the day been? Yeah, it's been awesome, bud. How about yours? Pretty good. Not too bad at all, hey? Thanks. So, everybody, this is the part of the show where Gareth and I like to reflect on the chat that we had with our guest. And um, we had a really interesting chat with Dave and Tim from the School of Calisthenics. And uh, one of the things that we really, really enjoyed chatting about was the idea of body weight training in general. And obviously, it's quite a trendy thing at the moment. And we just found it such an interesting topic for many reasons. There's a lot of benefits health-wise. You can do it anywhere. And it's free. So, um, yeah, Gareth, what do you reckon? Uh, what did you think about that? Yeah, I thought it was a really, really cool chat. I think um, people hopefully find it very inspiring. And the one of the messages that I picked up was just like that there's no excuse almost to not train because when it comes to calisthenics, it's available for everybody. Um, it doesn't matter uh, if you're rich, if you're poor, if you're a guy, if you're a girl. Doesn't, you don't need access to a gym, etc. It's literally available to anybody, you know, literally using your uh, body strength. And it's such a functional type of training as well that helps people in their day-to-day lives. You know, also people that even want to look good, you know, if you, you don't have to be, say, a bodybuilder or whatever, you can literally practice calisthenics and you'll have like a great physique. So there's that cool element to it as well, because that's, that's quite important to people too. Um, so yeah, that's, those are my thoughts on it. Yeah, I also think like you were saying there as well, is that it's one of those things that you can actually literally do for the rest of your life. And the kind of strength that that functional strength that you were saying as well, is the kind of thing that you will build up as you go along as you age, but you'll use it and it will actually prevent a lot of problems later in life, uh, like falls and due to all the proprioceptive stuff that uh, Tim and Dave teach you. Um, So it's really, really a valuable tool to learn. Yeah, it was cool. I remember him saying in it, he's like, he wants to be one of those 80-year-old blokes still killing it, yeah, uh, like exactly. do, doing like pull-ups and press-ups and stuff like that. And that's, that's something uh, that they touch on that's literally available to anybody, you know what I mean? If you do these exercises now, uh, you're going to have that strength when you're older, um, which is really cool. For sure. And the other cool thing that we spoke to them about, really fascinating topic, was about uh, the Paralympics and Paralympic athletes. And and Tim actually is a strength and conditioning coach for the uh, British Paralympic team. Now, I remember watching the Paralympics uh, when it was on in London, actually at the Games live, but also on television. And on television, the sort of slogan was, here come the superhumans. And seriously, these guys are just so amazing. You know, they, what they do uh, with, uh, you know, I guess with what they have is so inspiring. And it, it takes like, I guess, a certain type of person to, to be able to perform like that and to kind of just put whatever um, disability they have to the side and then just become this amazing athlete. For me, it's just 100% humbling watching these guys and girls perform at their peak and never looking back never like complaining and I just think you know what am I complaining about in my life sometimes that I really really shouldn't be or don't need to be and that's really what I just took from that like just harden up and get on with it and don't complain 
because there's always someone else out there that maybe harder having it harder than you have you know and uh and that yeah i just think that was so so inspiring just to hear how how little these guys feel sorry for themselves you know i think yeah, that's really exactly what it what it was about and if anyone is ridiculously human it's it's those athletes that's for sure uh, so let's hear what it means for jacko and tim to be ridiculously human Dave and Tim, how's it going? Yeah, good, thanks. Welcome to the Ridiculously Human podcast. Thanks, you guys are our second guests. And oh, not first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got trumped, unfortunately. <laughs> Looks before uh, you know. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I would. I would say that's slightly offensive. We have yeah. got both. I was going to say. <laughs> and the triple threat and banter. Tim, you look exactly like one of my best mates. Seriously, like it's it's quite scary how I swear everyone in this world has a twin, and you guys are twins. Like, everything. <laughs> I thought you were, I thought you were going to say you look exactly like you do in the videos. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad he's got more clothes on now. Uh, we try and keep that stuff on the download a little it's bit. Hot, it's hot here in the UK. Yeah. We try and do less shirts off stuff these days, but um, obviously there's still the old photo float that gets a. Uh, it gets pushed around guys like thanks so much for for coming on as guests um i've been following you guys probably for about a, a year or so now and i'm super impressed with everything that you do and you're like you're really two inspiring guys and i love the the calisthenic side of things it's something i, I kind of always wanted to get into and yeah we on the podcast we kind of like to go through a lot of stuff um and you guys certainly have very interesting stories and we want to go deep into that but first of all just a bit about you like how did you guys meet have you been lifelong buddies or what, how did it work did you say you're gonna go that? <laughs> you can go you can you can tell the story about <laughs> bromance um, <laughs> So me and Tim haven't actually known each other uh, as long as it might. It feels like we've known each other forever. But uh, yeah, no, we, um, we, well, when we get a bit more into the story of like our background and whatnot, when I was retiring from playing rugby is when I actually met um, Tim through uh, a mutual friend at the church we go to. And I was like, a guy that goes to church that lifts as well. I thought I was the only one. But uh, so at that point, I was like still lifting weight. I'd finished playing rugby, I was still lifting weights. and then. Um, we actually just met through that and um, his background or what he was currently doing was strength and conditioning with it with Paralympic athletes. Um, and I was like, ah, strength and conditioning, that is something. I was thinking about what am I going to do when I f- retire from my rugby career? So he'd got, he'd got into his strength and conditioning through, um, he hadn't done a degree in strength and conditioning initially. And that was the same. My, I've got a degree in engineering. I, d- I wanted to get into strength and conditioning, but was looking for, is looking for like, is there a way to get into that without, um, without going back to uni for like another three years. And so um, when I just started chatting to him about what he, what he was doing and then where and how he got there, it was like, okay, this is um, this is what he offered to help and like give me some advice. And then ultimately we started working together on that business, which was one athlete. At that point, we'd never done any calisthenics. Yeah, uh, we weren't training calisthenics at that time. So I've been working as an S&C coach for, I don't know, about seven years at that time, probably specializing in Paralympic sport. And um, the, that side of the business was, or that business was growing, and, and I was looking for someone to come in and and help a little bit. So it's amazing that Dave was interested in getting into S and C, but what I needed at the time was somebody who could take over some of what we call performance, the mindset side of the business, which for us was psychology, nutrition, performance, lifestyle. 
And Dave is an ex-professional rugby player of 14 years, had a psychology qualification, had a nutrition qualification, had a teaching qualification. I was like, but you literally couldn't have put a better piece in the jigsaw that I needed at the time. So it was a real mutual beneficial sort of relationship to start off with. And then we found out that actually we quite liked each other's company. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it, really. The, the rest and now of, we're best buds. Yeah, now we spend most of our time together, um, including the holidays and, and all sorts of stuff. But um, the, that, that, the, the, the calisthenic side of things was, a, was sort of Wide a, separate. A, later, um, a later addition to the sorts of, of how we spend our time and what business was looking like and that sort of thing. And do you find that that's like pretty much most of your time now is the School of Calisthenics? Yeah, it is, I think. We, originally, it was it literally started as a side product uh, or project in, in, in one thing. We um, we got into calisthenics. I was on, I, my wife's actually South African. So um, we were in Hermanus. They, they've got a, a place just over the, on the rocks down there. Um, so I was on holiday and um, I didn't want, there's a gym in town, but I didn't want to go and work out indoors. It was hot. It was summertime. I can, why, why go indoors when I can train outside and look at the ocean? Um, so I didn't have, I had a set of gymnastics rings with me and then just started deciding that actually I'm going to give myself a bit of a, of a, some time to play around with some calisthenics. And that was a real starting point. And then as things have changed in that journey, we can press into that a little bit more in, in some more detail. But as that sort of progressed, then it's just grown and grown. And, and one athlete now is a, is a smaller project and it was never meant to be a big thing. It was always supposed to be like a boutique service for athletes trying to get back to a real athlete centered approach. We never wanted a hundred different athletes. So it was actually more like, I refer to like a boutique hotel. Like we might have got eight rooms, but what we do with those rooms is really special. Um, so the, the calisthenics thing now is a bit more of a, let's say, a mass market business with a, with a wider appeal. Paralympics is, is a pretty small uh, niche. Um, those two things actually now really complement each other so really well. So Hermanus, is that a spot that you'd go and uh, visit regularly? It's lacquer, China. Um... It's very lacquer. <laughs> it's lacquer, isn't it? I took it last, <laughs> isn't it? last year. And he's, he tried to immerse himself in South African culture, well, including picking up some of the language. Through, through he, playing rugby, you, in the UK, you cannot, if you play rugby, the chances are you will play with some South Africans, some Australians and some New Zealanders. Because you got, because they're from the Southern Hemisphere, they're automatically better than anyone in the UK. So it doesn't matter what level <laughs> you play at, there will always be some to come over here. Um, and so whether I was playing or I'd done some coaching as well... Um, I've been surrounded by uh, Southern Hemisphere influences, shall we say, for, so, for quite a while. So, long so my saying, South African accent and whatnot and culture is, 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 is of a high standard. Dave likes to think that before we went to South Africa, you already had an advantage culturally. <laughs> yes. Whereas the reality was that he, he really didn't. And he just picked up the odd word and, and used it repeatedly. Um, but I'm actually going in a couple of weeks. Well, I'll actually fly out next week to, to South Africa to see the family. Um, we're going to Hermanus. It's an incredible little spot down there. I love it. Whale season for the first time. I've never been down there to see the whales before. So excited to, to go and hang out down there. But yeah, it's, it's great. So when you say that you're culturally trained in South African, that means you eat biltong, right? Yes, I've got some actually. Don't talk about it. <laughs> no, no, I haven't got any. When I was in South Africa, I, I, I had, yeah, I haven't got any now on the record because yeah. we definitely when, didn't get some through the post. No, that's what I'm, I'm saying. When I'm <laughs> when I'm in South Africa, I, I eat it. <laughs> So, so let's hear your South African accent. Yeah, then. come on, Dave. I've already given you my lacquer, bro. How's it? How's it? <laughs> How's it China? <laughs> isn't it? How's it China? How's it China? Yeah. <laughs> David, you, you obviously have had a, a long career in rugby. You started for Nottingham when you were six, is that right? And yeah, yeah. You ended up playing for 
something like 24 years, which is quite phenomenal, really. Um, and you, you ended up being the, the pretty much their top uh, player in all different fields and set so many different records. Uh, do you just want to run us through that your life as a as a rugby player and and a bit more about your your background, please? Uh, yeah, so um, I'll give you very short and uh, the highlights. Um, please don't give us twenty four years. <laughs> so in year one, on Monday, now, um, yeah, I've, I've still got a trophy <laughs> for the best effort award uh, that's dated nineteen eighty eight, which proves that when I was six, I was down at Nottingham Rugby. And I think best effort normally meant you were the crappiest player, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but obviously I tried hard and eventually that turned into something. Um, so yeah, I went through all the age groups and that. Played for every team at Nottingham by the ladies. They just wouldn't have me. And yes, yeah, so when I was six, I wasn't playing for the first year when I was six. But I think I remember debut when I was at 17, 18. And then I was about to start my 14th season. I'd done the pre-season when I had my my head injury. So I'd had a load of head knocks throughout my career. Um, and then the last one sort of did me off. And when I was over a cut, I had a, a head knock in, um, in pre-season, just in a training game. And it was not in training game. So just in training, playing touch, uh, but I had a seizure on the pitch. And over the course of a few months, um, eventually saw a neurologist that said, Jack, I think it's, it's probably time you don't carry on playing rugby. And I was like, doc, I totally agree with you. Let's look at doing something else. But um, that in itself was a bit of a scary... It's a difficult time in, in terms of my career and life, but like it gave the, the opportunities that came off the back of that have obviously put me where where we are today. Um, and then, like you say, in terms of like Nottingham, I'd never played for any other team, which just meant generally, as long as you, as long as you get picked, you're going to play a lot of games. So I think I played 316 games, which is a, a club. I've got like the league record and... And the position I was in on the wing or at fullback, people would give you the ball with not far to run. You just have to dust it down over the line. So you end up scoring quite a few tries. So I've got leading try scorer yeah. for that, which um, for me, I'm like, I'm, I'm from Nottingham. Um, and it, it, that sort of does make me quite proud, to be fair. Not something I think about very often because no one really talks about uh, the rugby side of things these days. But um, it, and in a nice way. Not because I think I'm a, I was an amazing player or anything, but just because I was there for so long, it will be quite hard for someone to beat. Because in this day and age, if someone stays at the club for five years, that's a long time. If you stay ten, like that's unheard of these days. So I, I, I'm probably I might keep those records for a few years yet, hopefully. So David, you're uh, definitely an example of uh, good persistence from. Uh getting the best effort award to uh, <laughs> I think, I think, to becoming the big side scorer. Well, it literally just stayed as best effort. It was like just it was more like last man standing. So, tell me you you've had you had a few knocks like you said and um yeah. obviously the the science and the understanding of of head injuries and that kind of thing has come a long way um in the yeah. last few years. So, I would imagine your first few knocks that you took you probably, you know, stiff up a lip and, and, and get back in there. Is that kind of what happened originally, like the first few knocks? So I was like quite lucky that actually as as I as, as unlucky as I was to have all these head injuries, the the way, as you said, the understanding of them has improved and increased over time. When I had my most serious one at the end, the NFL were having their big sort of court thing going through and it was really big in the media and everyone was sort of well aware of it, whereas um, yes, earlier on in my career, it was very much, you know, I remember, you know, you don't remember your own head knocks because you just don't remember, like, you, you don't have that memory. But I, rem I remember other, some other people where, you know, early on, there was a, a guy, we'd got promoted the week before and he couldn't remember that. 
And then he'd also broken up with his girlfriend and people were trying to like tell him that he needed to call her and that they, they hadn't broken up. And like everyone was just literally taking advantage of this guy that had, had lost his memory because he had, you know, what we called back then, you just called it jellyhead. And everyone just made sort of fun of you that you couldn't remember anything. Because ultimately, people had seen it before and it's like, you know, a bit of rest, you, you, you're sort of fine again. But what we didn't understand at those points were the, the cumulative effect of these head injuries. And when I saw um, a neurologist who looked at my MRI scan and saw that there was a, a scar on my brain from the bleed that I'd had from this last injury, and I said to her, it's not a, literally two of us banged into each other playing touch. We're on the same team. We were both trying to catch the same ball. It was completely innocuous. Um, and one of, the, one of my teammates, one of my mates said, he actually was about to burst out laughing because it was funny. And then I started having a fit on the pitch, a seizure, and um, then the guys put me in the recovery position and got the got the physio over. So, but, but I was lucky that at that point everyone knew how sort of serious this sort of thing was. Um, but I did spend the next four months trying to get back to playing again. It wasn't like we knocked it on the head there and then. And I did feel the pressure, but probably more so just from myself of like, I don't want to give up. But I was actually quite scared of playing again and was relieved when the neurologist said, you need to give up. Because I was actually scared that I'd probably play again because I wasn't sort of, didn't have the the guts to actually go, look, I'm done, this is enough for me. Because it fit, I don't know, for whatever, that's like a bit of a blokey thing, I guess, maybe. How did you deal with it sort of mentally? Was it really tough uh, when you had to admit that you needed, it was time to retire? Like, I mean... What is it like coming back? Because I can imagine you're on a bit of a downer. Yeah, well, the problem, there's there's a couple of, there's a few things that are going, like, in the very short term, like, I couldn't remember, I'd lost two weeks of memory. I'd bought, um, we're about to go to um, site, site slide, side hustle. Uh, we're about, sorry, we're about to go to Morsi in, in France um, for this calisthenics retreat we're putting on, which starts on Friday. And I'm driving our camper van to put all the equipment in. So I'm actually leaving in a couple of hours. And um, I'd bought this van as just a standalone van two weeks before I got my head injury. And it was the first time I drove it to training when when I had it. Apparently I was found, the, the physio, so I've like put in the recovery position, like I said, and then like the physio went off to get some stuff and it was like, we're going to take it to hospital. And he sort of like, put me sat me down he needs to get his, he took me to his car and then he needed to get his keys or something so he like just stood me there for like two minutes whilst he went to get his keys and apparently i started looking at this van and someone the lads came up to me and was like and i'm looking through looking at this van and i was like whose is this and he was like it's yours uh, i can't remember any of this because this was him telling me that conversation um so and, and i know now that i bought that two weeks before so i'd lost that lost that sort of memory and um some of the things with the with the head injury like that you you got a lot going on through your head. You, you you don't know really what's going on. You're a bit of a zombie for quite a while. Um, your side effects are like you've got things like headaches and, and being sensitive to light and just not being able to concentrate. And cognitively, your brain just it's injured, so it can't like process things as well. So you just feel a bit of a just feel a bit like lethargic and then end up just like sleeping a lot and that sort of stuff. But um, depression is a side effect of that and like. The other thing is you don't know what's going on. So you go, when, you know, I've broken loads of bones in my body playing rugby before and you go, Doc, how long is it? When am I going to be back? They go, three months. You're like, great. Okay. Three months is going to be brutal, but then I know when I'm going to come back. I was going to people, you know, what's, what's the matter with me? What's, and when am I going to be better? Like, I still can't flipping do anything. Like, you know, I can't even watch the TV without getting a headache and that sort of stuff. So it's, 
it was a, that was a difficult time. And then you're throwing into then the mix of going like, well, I now this feels way more serious than any of my other head injuries. And I started to think after you know after a month goes by, you're going like, oh crikey, like Joey, you know I mean, am I gonna play again? Rather than am I gonna just be all right, just generally. So then you're starting to think, well, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna, we also end our contracts. It was like if you're injured for six months, they can cancel your contract. So you're like, even if I don't want to like retire, it might just be taken out of me anyway, and that sort of thing. And you're going, what am I going to do? Who's who's going to pay? Who's going to pay the mortgage? Uh, my mine, oh, I ended up like retiring at Christmas. It was like, who's going to pay the mortgage this Christmas? And that in itself brings like worry and that sort of stuff in. So there's a lot of stuff going on, and that sort of was tough. But um, like I said, other opportunities just came about, and I'm loving what I'm doing now. And actually. If it's you know if that hadn't have happened, I wouldn't have been doing what I'm doing now. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have been like working with Tim, and um, I could have still met him, but I wouldn't have been going right. I want to do what you're doing, and let's start working together in this. Like, so nothing I have now would have would have come out of the back of that. So it's sort of one of those things. Those those sometimes those those tough times. You learn a lot about yourself as well, and actually like good stuff came out. Good stuff came out of it. Weirdly, I'll probably say, I'll probably, I'll probably say like I wouldn't change anything other than what I know now about head injuries is, you know, the number of times I got knocked out in, previous in my career, I'd have took more time out to recover properly and not play. You know, I remember playing games where it was like, I remember one time at flipping half, half, I ended up breaking my cheekbone in a game where I got knocked out in the first half, carried on playing, didn't know what was going on, nearly got pulled off because I was playing so badly. Like a ball got kicked and I was playing fullbacks, like, Someone shout like, "What? You know, why didn't you catch that ball? Literally, just let it bounce right next to me." And at halftime, felt sick. Told the physio, didn't get particularly dealt with that well, and went out in the second half. And then, just before I broke my cheekbone, I turned around to one of the teammates and went, "Strether, I actually feel all right now. I know what's going on. Like we're about that. Like, it's a scrum over there, isn't it?" He's like, "Yes, great. Let's get on. They're about to. They're literally about to chuck you the ball." Someone throws me the ball. I, I sidestep inside and then run into run into someone's massive Swede. Who then broke my cheekbone? That was then. But the problem with that is, I was then knocked out as well. So I was concussed and knocked out. Broke my cheekbone. Went to hospital. They they deal with your broken cheekbone. They don't deal with your head injury because you can't see the head injury, and that's that's one of the issues. And I remember coming back to training after that. Cheek was cheek was fine. So let's train. I felt horrendous, and I couldn't. It was like, well, I had an operation, so I was under general anaesthetic. It was like maybe that's what it is. And only now, like looking back, I go, I know exactly what it is. I was still struggling from the concussion that that sustained. So that's the thing that I would change. I would just know how to look after myself better. But that's just where everyone was at. Like the the whole medical team and everything didn't know what they know now. If you know what I mean. But I certainly wouldn't say I wouldn't play rugby again. I've had I've had a. I remember I did a talk at the the club after I retired, and someone, a lady, put a, 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 a genuine question, a reasonable question. But she was like, you know, after you've told me what has happened to you, da da da. Like, why should I let my son play rugby? And I was like, you know, how did you get here today? You drove, you got in, you got in your car. Like, you don't not take your kid in the car. Don't tell me that like rugby is too dangerous. And so, yeah, do you know I mean, we do every day. Everyone does something way more dangerous than playing rugby. But the plus side of the any of you guys have played any team sports, the plus side of what you get in terms of like respect and camaraderie, like the friendships you build, the discipline you get. You know, I wouldn't be the the person I am today if I'd have not been part of those great rugby teams that have been part of and, and in, in some ways you guys are still like you're still building now a team and a, and a tribe with with what you do yeah, as well so. so 
kinesthetics are you something you can do on your own or you can do as a group and and how do you guys like to do it is like do you do a lot of training on your own in your in that specific field or do you still mix it up uh, i haven't i started calisthenics about three and a half years ago and i haven't done upper body like barbell or dumbbell based session in three and a half years um, lower body still i will do various it's changed the focus a little bit in the lower body but in terms of yeah, I've not, I've not pressed a, a, a weight in that sense of a, of a free weight for, for a long time. In terms of how we do it, one of the really interesting things that we liked about calisthenics was that when we first started, because it maybe it's because it looks a little bit different, people are interested, we're doing stuff that actually people look at and go like, we talk about the muscle up, and you, when you see someone do a muscle up, there's not many guys who like training that go, I want to be able to do that. Or there's, there's a lot of people that go, I want to be able to do a muscle up. And we were getting people coming over and talking to us and go, how do you do that? And and we just found that all of a sudden around calisthenics, there was a bit more of a community feel. It was less about like headphones in, hat down, get underneath a bar and squat it. It was more about actually just conversations and having a bit more freedom to, to sort of engage with people. And, and I think a lot of that, like we, we talk a lot about getting back to the importance of play when we train. And our training looks like play. Like when we first started in the gym, people would come up to us and going, what are you guys doing? Because it looks like you're messing about. And we're like, yeah, we are. We're, that's exactly what we're doing. We're just messing about. That was our best compliment at that time, yeah, wasn't it? Because we were rubbish. Yeah. But that was it. And it was, it was that, the idea that actually get back to, to training being fun. And I see so many people in gyms around the country and different places in the world that I've worked and it just doesn't look like having a good time. Like you watch us train, we're having a good time. And whether that's together or by ourselves or, um, there's some really nice stuff around calisthenics about group based environments and having fun with your mates. Um, but there's also something quite nice about putting my earphones in and, and focusing in on the movement patterns. I like learned to handstand is quite an, it's quite an intrin- lot of intrinsic stuff going on. So just centering yourself in the skill acquisition phase of that. I actually find that really refreshing. So when we go away, um, we'll be down in Hermanus in a, in a couple of weeks. I'll definitely be doing some of that, putting some classical music on and doing some handstands by the sea by myself. And I'll, be absolutely loving every minute of it because it's cool <laughs> drinking organic wheatgrass <laughs> so you say classical music is that like genuinely like what you use to listen to when you do handstands or is that you know yeah anything really, i listen to a lot work I've been this is new to me i'm learning here um <laughs> i had to sit and listen to your 24 career <laughs> career no 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 as like. i'm saying this is new but that wasn't new to, i'm interested because i didn't know you listened to classical music when you were doing that yeah a lot so I've been self-employed for about 10 years and life gets busy, right? It's, I was getting stressed and as, an, as a strength and conditioning coach, I was, I've always, rather than going and working for an organization, we've kind of just been a, a private business in that sense. So you'd be running from one session to another and there's so much stuff going on. And I just found that I couldn't get in the car in the morning and just listen to drum and bass or rock music or anything because it was just fueling this kind of mental intensity that I was already experiencing so I started listening to um, classic FM and just loved it and that's a massive part of, of what, I, what I do now when I work when I, when I we, we, obviously the content that we develop when I'm writing put some of that sort of stuff on and like all sort of it's I don't know it's opened my my eyes and ears to a, a much wider genre of music and there's some amazing stuff out there and it's uh, it just calms me down yeah i'm, I'm nice. totally with you like I, I actually go through phases of, of what i listen to and it's funny like when i was hitting the weights uh, probably for about a year I, I started listening to like dire straits for some reason and i just kept on playing the sultans of swing and it was it was ridiculous like that was my music to pump me up <laughs> and so sorry tim like a bit about yourself uh you um did you grow up playing rugby as well 
Yeah, I started when I was about nine years old. Dad took me to a, to a rugby club and just, yeah, fell in love with it. And that was that was it for the... Well, I don't, I don't actually know when I stopped playing after my last shoulder injury, which I think was probably when I was about 27, 28, something like that. Um, and played most most seasons at club and university level and didn't quite reach the dizzy heights of Nottingham Rugby Club. But um, I've, I don't know if you've noticed, I've got a much smaller frame than Dave. So when I, before I started lifting, I started training when I was in Australia properly lifting weights. I'm, I weighed myself when I went into the gym on the first day and I weighed 68 kilos. Like I haven't got a big frame. So yeah, it's not surprising that I had my fair share of rugby injuries over the years, getting absolutely hammered by dudes at like 100 kilos. I was 72 kilos when I played my first first team game. And I did a backwards somersault trying to tackle somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I was ten and a half staying wet through. I was not. I was definitely very small too. Piss on my parade. <laughs> Why not? It's still smaller. But. So I'd like to ask you about that. You guys have both been, you know, pretty competitive with your sport and diving and all sorts of different things. And obviously, the training you're doing now is pretty full on as well. How does how do you guys deal with injuries and and your mindset around the injuries and how do you feel these days after having those injuries from other sports? How does that translate into the way you're training now? I'm going to start on this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah because it's different. So there's it's different for both of us. Two things about what happens with current injuries, and I'll talk about how we manage old injuries. So there's, Dave and I are quite different. I would say levels of maturity around training. <laughs> so when I'm training... And music, of course. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, when, I, when I'm training, I listen to my body. So when it starts telling me that actually you're tired or you've done too much or that's niggling, I respect my body and stop training or do something different. Because I do what I did in rugby is you just try and bully it. Yeah, so what happens is Dave is literally getting back from an elbow injury, which is not completely sidelined, but it's been a hindrance, it's fair to say, yeah, for so probably three for, months. Yeah, for like muscle or something. Because he was trying to do stuff when he was tired, affected too hard stuff. Yeah, so yeah. affected going to the gym and doing hard stuff yeah. all the time. Yeah. But you actually, you were coming off of a block of doing some really good stuff. You got a lot of progression, but you just kind of yeah. tipped over the edge where you actually far. probably had yeah, some yeah. warning signs. So that's a massive thing about actually people think more is better. And especially with calisthenics, when you get into it, you're going to place a, a much different stress on your body than you've had before. So the, the connective tissue, the ligaments, the tendons in the upper body aren't used to being loaded in the ways that our lower bodies were from, from years of sprint training and rugby and, and that sort of stuff. And most people, unless you've been through gymnastics, are going to be in a similar position. So the, the amount of loading that you can do over a longer period of time is, is actually you need to give that some respect because the tissues will break down. You do get golfer's elbow and, and those things are completely avoidable, but we just get excited and addicted to it because mm. it's so sort of progressive. Every time you go in the gym, you're finding out, wow, I'm doing something I couldn't do before. So I'm going to do more, more, more. And then all of a sudden you break down and it ends up being a tendon issue. And, and that's just a pain to, to, to fix. That can be drag on for months. In terms of older injuries, I've, I've had, I've, Dave asked me this question the other week, actually, we were chatting about it. I don't know how many times I've dislocated my shoulder. It's that many. I've had two reconstructions. And the reason I started to hands, to learn calisthenics and particularly to handstand in the first place, apart from wanting to be outdoors and train a little bit more, but not, not necessarily having to be in the gym, was that I thought if I could handstand, then that would tell me that my shoulder was stable. Um, because I've done all the physio stuff. And this, this was over a period of, I had my first reconstruction in 2002. And I think I had my last one in probably that 2007, 2008, when I was finishing my playing rugby. So I'd done a lot of shoulder rehab over those over that period of time. Um, and none of it had worked. So I was like, this is just ridiculous. I need to do something different. Um, and that's why I originally started to learn to handstand. But Dave had his fair share of shoulder issues. And he played 14 years of professional rugby. You're going to have a few stories to tell about broken bones and 
Yeah. Things like that. I remember uh, things like Broken Hand never got like, you, you get given these options like, Doc, how long is it going to, because all you bother about when you get injured is, Doc, how long is it going to be till I get back? And it was like, I broke my hand and it didn't really cut. It wasn't great when I came back, but it was fine for playing rugby. But you go, well, now I want to do a handstand. And you're like, well, actually, you could do with having a hand that's functioning properly. Like, I can't make a real flat wrist, uh, fist because the second metatarsal's like just out of line a little bit and that sort of thing. I remember snapping my ring finger tendon. Doc, how long is that going to be? Like, surely I can just strap that up and I'll be fine next week. Well, yeah, but you've snapped the one underneath and that will never grow back. Like, it's just gone. It's like somewhere up here. And I was like, well, how do I get that sorted? Well, you have to have an operation, reattach it, and that'll take three months. I was like, three months for a finger? No way. Like, why would I do three months? And like, you know, I remember talking to another physio and they said, well, do you want to be able to do it? There's certain things I can't do with that finger and I can't strain it out. So again, like for a handstand, but at the time it was like, I never thought I was like, do you going to want to learn to play the piano? No. <laughs> do you want to learn how to, do you know what I mean? I'm thinking of things, what, what things are going to affect me? No, not bothered. Right. So I'll just strap it up and play next week and just live with a, a crap finger for the rest of my life. And then some of those things now start to come out of the woodwork when you're like, okay, I'm going to try balancing on my hands. But you just deal with it and you you find ways to compensate, I guess, as long as it just needs to be safe. My biggest one for me, again, was a shoulder one. Broke my shoulder blade in two places, a chromium and the coracoid process, like two pretty reasonably poor bits to try and break on your shoulder blade or complicated bits to try and break on your shoulder blade. Um, And dislocate my AC joint, which is like a full dislocation there, so... My collarbone effectively at my shoulder is not connected. So there's a lot of, there's a bit of slackness and whatnot in that shoulder that, again, was, I guess it wasn't particularly fine when I first got back to playing rugby. That's the type of thing you do. You play before you're fully ready to. And um, But now that can cause me some issues lower down the chain if I don't sort of look after it. But I always think of, we talk about these injuries and, and a lot of the stuff like we find um, the calisthenics actually done correctly and listening to your body like Tim does better than I do a lot of the principles around how we're training like the shoulder the rotator cuff and the proprioception of balancing your hands that sort of stuff is actually really good and healthy for your shoulder and Tim can talk more about that for you because he's excited about some research projects that we, we're trying to do with a uh, university so in your guys like ebook that you give out for free uh, you actually mention that you know shoulders is something which you kind of really need to take care of because you use it a lot when you do calisthenics what did you guys do before you got into it to kind of strengthen them and make sure that they were actually okay to do it or or did were you not really thinking about it too much at that time yeah i guess this is one of the ways where where i've kind of benefited from a bit more time as a strength and conditioning coach over dave coming into the industry a little bit sort of later on and that i was still doing a lot of let's call it more like standard weight training type, different phases of training, whether it's like stabilization or strength, endurance type work or more maximal strength, whatever. But it, it was still kind of in the weight room, lifting weights. So within that, I was using what I was learning from my, from my strength and conditioning qualifications and, and starting to apply that to my own training. So I was doing a lot of shoulder stability work, whether that was, like we use a YTW still a lot in calisthenics. It's a standard exercise we use with a lot of athletes. Scaption positions, rotator cuff exercises, a lot of work on shoulder stability. But the the interesting thing around that really is I'd still done all of that and then still dislocated. It was I actually dislocated my my shoulder on a a workshop trying to do a snatch balance with a bar overhead and, and pressing it in, my, in front of a room full of S and C coaches. My shoulder dropped out of place, which was a less than um, a less than glamorous moment. But it, it's actually being calisthenics, which is 
been the one thing which is which has fixed it for me. So the human flag position, overhead, hand overhead, um, shoulder externally rotated, putting force down would have been exactly the position that I would normally dislocate in. So when I said to when when Dave and I started playing around with it, I was like, mate, this is not this is not a good shape for me. This is I don't feel good here. I had so little confidence. Whereas three years down the line, my shoulders have never been better. Not like not I'm 36. I'm 37 in November. In all the years of playing sport, I, I used to have to lie on the sofa, my hand behind my head, and my shoulder just sort of like feel like it was slipping out of place. But they're now they're great. They're bomb proof, and we want to share a lot of that around helping people to understand looking after the shoulders because it's a vulnerable joint right it's 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 a ball and socket like the hip but it's the architecture of it is so different um, it's designed for mobility but comes at the cost of stability so we need to give it some tlc it needs a little bit of a special approach and a lot of people particularly these days with the amount of people that come with poor postural patterns terrible flexibility they spent 10 years on the bench press and they wonder why they can't lift their arms overhead they have to undo all of that sort of stuff because it's not just a limiting factor for calisthenics, it's a limiting factor for just general shoulder health. And we're going to ask people to get in some fairly extreme positions in back levers and that sort of stuff. It's not that the shoulder can't do it, you just need to create the conditions to allow it to have that freedom of movement and be able to stabilize itself. And so you had a, you'd had that reconstruction and that still wasn't stable, Is, am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, the initial one. The first one I had was okay for a bit. And then when I actually, my shoulder started dislocating again and I went back and had a, had a chat to the, the surgeon and, and he said, look, let's just go and have a look. And um, they gave me a regional block so I could see it on TV. I was watching them while they were digging around in my shoulder. The, the original repair had come loose. So it was, it was a slap tear or a slap repair, which is basically a tear in the labrum, which is the, the disc, which kind of creates a little bit more depth to the, um, to the joint. So I'd torn that. So it was basically like when the shoulder was in that position, it would just slide out of the, the fossa in the, on the scapula that the humerus would just slip out. Um, so they actually then started to, they, they repaired that to give it more like a, it's like a saucer type to keeping the shoulder in place on the, on the, on the scapula. So they, he actually then put, he put two stitches in this time. He came back in after I had the surgery goes, they, they'll take half a ton each. So you should, so you should be all right. <laughs> but I actually, the, the ironically, I was really worried about 12 months after I'd had that operation. I went snowboarding last run of the day. My, my, my wife was just getting something ticked off and she wants to do another run. I was like, oh, I'm done, but okay, one more. It's always one more, right? So I've been working Listen on to some, your body and, uh, we've been working on, on some kickers and, and trying to do a few bits and bobs. And um, I just, I hit a jump wrong, landed on my, on my front shoulder overhead, popped my shoulder, ended up in the hospital in, in Austria um, and was absolutely terrified that I'd torn this, this repair apart. And all of a sudden I was going to have, I was going to be back in surgery for another one. And it's six weeks in a sling. It's a six to nine month rehab process. It's flipping horrible. But fortunately, calisthenics and where I'm at now, I would, I would never have thought that that would have been, that was four years ago, three and a half years into calisthenics, best shoulder I've ever had. So there's, there's, we're doing something right. I thought you were going to say, when he said that, that should be all right, it's going to take half a turn and you were going, and you were going to get, oh, I'm thinking about going for a bulky. <laughs> <laughs> and Tim, so you, so you said like you haven't done any upper body work in the gym, like hitting the weights for three years, but you do still do it for legs. Uh, can you just explain to the listeners why, you know, and is it, and is it yeah. specific to you or, you know, can other people also follow these sort of programs to maintain muscles? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to stay on track in terms of getting sidetracked about maintaining muscle because it's it's not my primary focus anymore. I'll talk maybe later about male dysmorphia and the issues that we have around body composition. But from my perspective, my my own training, calisthenics is fun for the upper body. It does a great job. The lower body, the size of the musculature and the function just needs a little bit more um, intensity than what I can get through my own body weight. Unless you want to start loading 
pistol squats with 40 kilo weighted vests, which is, is maybe not the best idea, there's benefits of keeping some lower body strength-based working because of, as I said, the, the, the size of the muscles that you work in. And also function. The lower body is designed to be able to handle more force. So if we're sprinting, for example, the, 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 we're going to be getting 9 to 11 times body weight back from the ground when the foot hits the floor. So we should be able to handle and manage those forces. So and I quite like that idea in terms of just maintaining function. A lot of the stuff, my, my focus and ethos around training has changed over the years is that what do I want longer term? So it's now not about rugby anymore. It's about longevity. And I want to still be an athlete. I want to still be able to move when I'm 70 years old. I want one of those dudes that's like old and awesome. And you look at him and go, that's, that's who I want to be. 80 year old, 80 years old, just killing it still. Because it's just that like, I really believe that we don't get weak because we get old. There's some physiological sums of which that become less optimal, but we get weak because we stop moving we stop training and we stop providing the body with a stimulus. And I, so my training, I don't squat much anymore, and that will send shockwaves in some people's lives because, of course, if you're a gym coach, you've got to squat. But I would argue that actually sticking 100 plus kilos on the top of my spine and compressing it when it hurts my knees if it's going heavy is not actually a great exercise. Um, deadlifts, it's a human pattern, picking heavy stuff up from the floor. We've been doing that for a long time. And I actually really like lunge patterns. So the, my go-to is, is, yes, we do pistols and shrimp, shrimp squats as a calisthenics bodyweight movement. But holding dumbbells by my, by my side and then doing lunging patterns, I like the transition of what happens of, of lunge patterns. I like the grip that I get from holding the, the weights because it's good for my shoulder. And it's a functional movement. It's something that I'm going to want to be strong enough. I want to go and climb a mountain. And I've got a little boy who's seven months old. When I'm, I'm 36, so he's got a few years on me, like, what, are we going to still be able to go and climb mountains when I'm 55 years old? Like, and that's one foot in front of the other. So let's get good at doing that sort of stuff. And it's, it's maybe my own philosophy. It's not for everybody, but that's that's what I enjoy. That's where I see the most amount of benefit. And the other thing to throw into that is with the business and with work and family life and, and train time's limited. So it's this. I'm not a nine to five guy who gets to go to the gym six times a week. If I get three sessions in a week, then I'm actually doing pretty well. So I have to be quite selective about where I'm going to invest that training time. I really like that kind of thinking because people throw these words around functional patterns and functional training and and all these kind of things. And I don't know if a lot of people actually ever, like you say, think about actual health span of them, you know, not just lifespan. You were talking proprioception. I'd love to hear more about that as well. Like proprioceptive stuff as you get older is going to be so super important just for like your well-being and falls and all sorts of things. So when you say proprioceptive work, like how does that sort of tie into your training? Yeah, it's a great point. Um, I'm going to be blunt. Um, Old people fall over because they lose fast twitch reactive ability. So we're going to lose some um, type 2 fast twitch muscle fibers as we age. Uh, we're going to lose some joint stability. So actually, the best thing that we could be doing from a training perspective for people as they get older is increasing the amount of single leg balance work that they do, but also keeping some level of, even if it's just low, low plyometrics, just jumping, that reflexive, that ability to reflexively stabilize. So if you, as now, if you guys, if it was winter outside, you step on some ice, your body will automatically make an adjustment without you thinking about it. But that'll be because you've got some level of ability to control and react to that, that stimulus. As we become more sedentary in, in later life, we do less, we experience less environments, we're maybe a little bit more cautious, we sit down, we stay indoors. Um, and then with the physiological changes that happen as a result of getting older, we just, not that well primed for stepping down off a curve and not going face first into the floor. So I think like for, for me, like keeping some hopping movements in there, Dave's a massive, when, when he, one of his thing is in, in the gym as a rugby player was plyometrics. Like this guy can jump. So keeping some of that sort of work in there, going for a run, like doing some sprint work, it's going back to all of those different sort of movement patterns that you think actually that's going to be useful. 
and linking that in with it. And that's where one of the real positives of calisthenics is, is you can't do it unless you're engaging or using, the, let's use core for a word that people understand. But it's, it's that integration of the whole kinetic chain. That's where our thought is now that actually we need to link the whole body together. It was never designed to be used as an isolated function. The shoulder shouldn't be having to work by itself. It was designed to work on a stable base provided by the intrinsic core stabilizers, the hips. So if we start to understand movement better, we're less worried about whether I'm going to go and do a calf raise or a knee extension in the gym. And actually, I should just do a lunge pattern. And I should maybe just try and hop on a box and see what happens. That's more putting yourself out there. People maybe don't feel so confident with that sort of stuff. But in terms of a return on investment, that is exactly where you should be putting your money. You must see uh, quite a change, I guess, in, uh, in the clients that, that you have come to you, um, not just in their physical ability, but also in their mindset, you know, once they start noticing their own progress. That's one of the, um, one of the things that we love about, about calisthenics training, that our philosophy is around redefining your impossible. And when you try and do, you know, when we tried to do a human flag for the first time, or I mean, Tim's nailing his planche at the moment and and you can remember when that felt like I remember him turning and he was like that is impossible I've got nothing like it just it, there's no other word to describe it other than you go that's impossible but it's amazing what how your mindset changes when you you know we break this down and we we teach people to do these things that they thought were impossible and you look at what you then start to changes your mindset around like how you look at anything like not just training you look at other things in training and go okay well that's that looks impossible and it feels impossible but i've done this other thing that i remember when that felt impossible so why can't if i if i you know work systematically towards and progressively towards it there's no reason why i can't build up the the strength or the skills and whatever and the movement patterns i need to be able to do that but then you also take it outside of that and you you go like you know we're trying to grow this as a business and you go like well why can't we grow it to the where we want it to be it might feel impossible at the start but we know we can do those things it's just same thing, breaking it down. It's just the steps are different steps. It's in terms of business compared to just physically what we're trying to do, but it's, it's breaking it down and into simple steps and then working progressively towards it. And picking up on some of the training stuff that Tim said and you picked up on about the whole play thing. I, I, I love training and I play and I love training for the purpose of trying to be good at rugby. And there was a game of the weekend and like now that's not there. It's like, well, what am I training for? And I did go through that myself and the calisthenics gave me that sort of. Okay, well, now I'm trying to learn X. I'm trying to learn a human flag. Like, that's what I'm trying to do. And when I can do that, I can actually, there's a day when one day all of a sudden I can now, you know, yesterday I couldn't when I tried. Now I actually can because I've built that up. And you get, you've got like a tangible thing to, a goal to work towards rather than coming in and going, right, it's January the 1st. I want to get fit. Like, what does that mean? When are you actually, when are you ticking that off? When are you actually achieving that? Best and, one of those is I want to get big. Yeah, well, that's like, the other, that was the other thing I was going to touch on, the way that you go, doing things you enjoy doing, yes, we need to work on our weaknesses and, and, and whatnot. But like as Tim said, if Tim doesn't like squatting heavy, like, and he's not a, he hasn't got a job that requires him to be good at squatting, so he's not a power lifter or competitive whatever, then why does he need to do that if he can get a training benefit elsewhere? You know, I don't do any weighted, so just on that like leg stuff, I, I don't do any weighted leg stuff now because one time thing as well as Tim, just haven't got time to it. I don't enjoy it that much. And actually, if my legs look small, because genetically I'm actually probably like more like an ectomorph if I didn't train at all, I'm just got to the point where I'm cool with that. Like I prefer to be able to, my thing is I'm my, my mobility is awful coming from rugby. Uh, the whole rugby thing was all around 
can he play at the weekend? That was the only thing someone was bothered about. I wasn't bothered whether he could touch your toes or not. It was, can he play at the weekend? And so I now actually would prefer to be able to get into some better movement positions like Tim was saying about. So if I'm a bit older, you know, I can bend down and pick something up off the floor and I can reach my hand above my head. You know, at the moment, it's I want to be good at with overhead positions because I want to be able to do a handstand or a human flag. But it has that longevity to it. But it gives me a reason to work on my mobility and flexibility that lets me do some stuff that's enjoyable, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So. I mean, you guys, uh, you speak really, really like well, and there's a lot of lessons in terms of the things that you just spoke about now. Do you find that you are the source of motivation and inspiration for a lot of people? And is that something that is like adds stress to your life or you, you actually get more motivation from that? I think we're massively flattered and humbled when people will send us uh, feedback about the information that we've put out because it's this genuinely, and it still is. We had a little business on. This was a, this was a project where we were rubbish at calisthenics. We were, for our own benefit, trying something different. And then someone said to us, well, can you teach me to do that? It's pretty cool. And we're like, oh, yeah, okay, we're in a workshop. And, we'll, and then we started to develop this framework that we've come up with, which is unique and a progressive approach, applying what we know about strength and conditioning, especially from working with, with Paralympic athletes. We look at movement slightly differently. If you're training somebody who's only got one leg, for example, or, or missing an arm, how do you then train them to do what they need to be able to do to, to achieve something? And this, the, the stuff that we put out now is literally just us sharing our philosophy um, about how we see training, how we see the benefits of calisthenics, our experiences from within that. And and when people come back and say, you guys have really inspired me to do this, or I'm really enjoying the content that you guys are putting out, like we still, like, we still text each other and go, look at this amazing thing that, like, we'll never yeah, take Yeah, if you look at our WhatsApp group, yeah. <laughs> we'll never take that stuff for granted because it's, it's amazing. And I don't, one of the things that we wrote in the beginner's guide, I think, at the beginning, right when we first started, was that we're just two normal, real people just trying to teach other real people to be awesome and it was we don't think we've got anything special we certainly haven't got 25 years of gymnastics experience behind us we've just got maybe a little bit of a different take on how we see training and movement and we want other people to get out of that um rut that training can be we want them to we have a the little sort of like phrase that we use is um, to explore your physical potential through bodyweight training and we don't we're losing that as a as a humanity or as a human race in, in 2017, we, we're becoming less functional all the time. And there's lots of different people doing lots of different movement type things and flow patterns. And there's loads of stuff out there. We've just got our little bit that we find really exciting, really enjoyable. And we see the benefits of, of, of sharing with people. And the, 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 when, we, when we go on a workshop and we teach someone to ring muscle up for the first time, you've never seen such happy people like because it's and, and sharing some of that and being able to to give people that that level of enjoyment and happiness so i don't think we feel pressure on it in terms of that we're just going to keep being who we are and, and doing what we do and trying to share the best quality information that we can um, and give people the benefit of the opportunities that we've had as professional coaches and dave as an athlete and we've learned a few things along the way that, that maybe some other people I've got different experiences, but these are our experiences and we just want to kind of put those out there. I think, like you said about coaching, like that's where, that's sort of where we back ourselves or where we hang our hat on is, as coaches. So, you know, we're not the best at calisthenics because we've only been doing it three and a half years and we came from rugby, not gymnastics, which are probably like two opposite things, if you know <laughs> what I mean. Like people can go, oh, well, you was quite strong because you did rugby. And like, okay, yeah, but we move horribly. Um, compared to compared to having a gymnastics background, and I often think that that's like a bit of a, a downfall for us, if you know what I mean. But the reality is that people go. Some of the feedback I get is like the fact that you 
have come from nothing. You had no, like, the first time I did a frog stand, you know, you balance on your hands and your elbows. I just smashed my face onto the floor. And that's when someone come up to us in the gym and just thought we looked like idiots. I guess because we were. But, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, we, we back ourselves in that coaching. Like, that's what, we're, that's what we've done day in, day out for a long time. And, and that's what we get a kick out of and a buzz out of, like teaching somebody to do something they thought was impossible. I lo- and like you t- I love glad, glad that you touched on the mindset side of things. I love seeing that when we see people, we, if we spend a th- in a three-hour workshop, they might even say at the beginning, no, nah, that's impossible. You're never going to get me to do that. And, you know, we can't teach everyone in three hours. Like Some people it's weeks or it's months. But there are always some that learn something for the first time on one of the workshops. And it's just not for anything other than just like we just we've got some we understand what you're doing what you need to do we understand what you might be doing wrong when we see you just because that's experience of coaching and then we've got the cues to, to help you with that and i'm glad you mentioned about like the whole thing around how the score calisthenics if you like as a business like started was organic like tim was saying people said oh well, can you teach us and it was like well yeah we'll put a workshop on and it started first as the strength training for survival in the urban jungle was the name of the um of the first workshop we put on but but the whole the whole mindset around that was like get strong for the world, not just the gym. Like so, we played around and we we've got a YouTube video to do at some point. But like the whole thing was like we had two Brilliant. two different strands or two different workshops. One was preservation and one was evasion. So preservation was life life saving strategies. So see, if, he loves it. If you were like in a burning building or you had a few beers with your mates and you fell out of a balcony, like you've got to be able to do a muscle up to get out of that situation to save your life. And you've, you can't saved do ba- one. you've saved the baby on your estate doing a muscle up, haven't you? I don't like Tell to go on about it, but <laughs> there was a time when I saved a baby <laughs> by being able to do a muscle up. Take us back there. <laughs> um, so we, we threw that, yeah, we, we put it out there and it was... Um, I think the problem was we didn't have an audience at that point. Yeah. So that we threw it out there. Like you laugh, you like, you got it straight away. But there was, you know, if you can have the greatest idea in the world, if you've got 10 Facebook followers, like it's not really going to fly. Um, so it's something we, we, you know, we've got quite, a, we've got over a hundred thousand across our different social medias now. It's probably if we could put something together, I think people, the concept might be grasped better. We'll see. But it's one of those things at the start. You go like, you get this. I've got this great idea, and you put it out there, and it was, you know, we sold out the workshop of ten places or whatever. So we were like really excited by that. But then you put these other things out there sometimes across social, and you'll be the same with with your your podcast. To start with, you haven't got a following, so it's hard for like to get really big before anyone's heard it or seen it so you put out your first few episodes and there's only a handful of people that see them if you know what i mean but um the the growth with us was very um very organic we were just working on this just as a bit of a side thing we, we kept saying to each other we're like this has got legs we got a video we got three guys who had je- like way strength to weight ratio way less than me and tim and one guy has exactly the same name as me david jackson he is about six foot three, I think. So he's a tall guy. And in seven weeks, they learn a flag. We're looking at each other going, crikey, this stuff works. <laughs> like, and, and the proof's in the pudding. Like, you go on our graduates page, and you see all these people that are learning. A lot people on the graduates page, most of them, probably 95% of them, have never met us. They've just watched the video tutorials in the guys and learned how to do these things. And people send us, it's funny, people now, you know, they, they look at, they, they might look at us now and you go, oh, well, you know, we get asked like, oh, so when I send you a message on Facebook, how do you, ma- who's managing all that for you? And I go, I go, when you send me a message at 11 o'clock on a Sunday night, I'm replying or Tim's replying and his missus is going, or my missus is going, what are you doing? And I just replying to John in flipping Barbados because he wants to learn how to do a big muscle up. But we love like just trying to help people with that. And it's the whole reason why the, the beginner's guide being free, we went, right, 
the whole school started because I wanted to do, well, Tim started doing hand balancing. I was like, I'd love to do a few for human flag. Like, that stuff looks sick. I just thought, like, holiday photos, that's going to be brilliant. Like, that's literally where it started. And then you, you search, search on YouTube how to do a human flag to try and find out some techniques and tips. And there's just nothing other than a bloke gives his phone to his missus who films him and then just goes, you do it like this. And I went, and we were just literally like, well, that, that doesn't help. Like, yeah, I can see that you can do it, but you haven't taught me how to do it. And, we just saw a gap in the market of there's no one teaching this. Can we apply what we've learned through strength and conditioning, exercise science, movement, like sort of kinetic chain principles that we use within the Paralympic athletes that we train? Can we apply that knowledge to calisthenics? And we just sort of thought, well, it's just it's, it's, it's movement. It's just a different movement. And, and that's sort of how it started. But we knew that the getting started is tough. A lot of people, like we first time we watched the Frank Magina video, I was like, yep, that is me. That is what I'm now finished primary. That is how I'm going to train. And if I can be 10% as good as him, I'm going to be happy. And obviously you keep moving. The, as you get better, you keep moving those, uh, those goalposts. But for a lot of people, they see it equally and they're inspired and they go, great. But nine times out of 10, they go, but I can't, I can't do that. And how the hell do I start? there's no one actually like show me how to break it down and start so we put the first thing we did with the scorecast and it's when we launched them on the website was a beginner's guide and that's all we had to start with it was beginner's guide it's free and it'll always be free on that site because we want to take away those barriers from people um so they can actually get started with it i've got a friend that does crossfit um he hates it but he knows it's good for him he's lost like five stone or something so yeah it's exercise that exercising is good for you but you shouldn't have to do something that you hate like life's too short for that, particularly when it's just for, for, for health and wellness and staying fit. Do something do something you like. And not everyone's going to like this. And so I'm not trying, you know, if someone doesn't like it, if they get our free beginner's guide and they don't like it, they haven't lost anything anyway. But look, like the, the thing that you'll do is if you do a little bit, if you do a little bit of stuff with us, whatever your sport, whatever you like, whatever it is, just in terms, as long as you want to do a little bit of like training to be fit and a bit healthy, I guarantee you will learn at least one thing. Just you'll learn something. That you could apply in any other yeah. rest of your Something about your body language, something about your shoulders, something something that you will actually be able to take away with you and go, that thing, I'm going to carry on doing that, even though I'm going to go away and carry on my Olympic weightlifting or whatever it is you're going to do. I'm a marathon runner. I had someone the other day, a dad, he's like, replied, he's like, loving his training. I can't remember what guy he's got. I'll have to look at me. But he's like, I'm, I'm, my football, my footy, so soccer for you guys, has got has got better. I'm like now shielding the ball and something else better than I did before. And I'm like, he's got. I think he's doing the handstand guide. And you're like, well, that's great. Like, because you know those crossovers into other training and other sports. We, I get it. Like, we think it, but for someone to actually feel it themselves and get it, and then report back to us rather than me asking. I didn't send him an email. Go. I think I sent him an email just saying thanks for buying the guide. Like, how's your training going? Um, I didn't say, you know, I wasn't trying to get him to think that I didn't even know he played football. So it's a very long rant for me. I just got quite, I feel like, I feel like I've had a coffee. Like, I haven't, but I feel like I just got excited. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have more guys or girls coming to your classes? And, um, you know, is it something that guys should do, girls shouldn't do, you know? I mean, I think one of the, the amazing things that we've, we've experienced from calisthenics is that we get everyone. So we literally, like, we can rock up at work at a workshop or we can run a class or we get people who get in touch who've got some of the guides and, um, we've got some people whose kids are doing it at home. So they're watching the beginner's guide and we get, we get pictures of kids doing pull-ups and frog stands and they might I be seven, nine, 12 that. years old. Yeah. We had a guy, a kid uh, that we we put up on our social a couple of weeks ago doing a L sit to handstand. 
And then we'll have 16 and 17 year old girls coming who like doing aerial fitness and, and pole fitness all the way through to we've got a guy called Graham and he won't mind me giving a shout out. He he's loves it. Seven, <laughs> he's 70 this year. So he's 69, but he never says that. But I presume, I don't know when Annie tells him his birthday is, <laughs> at some point he's going to be 70. Yeah. <laughs> but he's like, he was a truck driver for like 40 years. And he, he is like one of the most um, dedicated calisthenics athletes that we've, we've worked with. And it's just, it's amazing. And especially with the, the, the female market um, is really interesting because I think it's, it's an opportunity. I think girls want to get strong. I think they want to have that, that shape of what it, what it, what girls want from exercise and from training is now they, they like that idea of being able to manage their own body weight, but they don't necessarily want to go and fight for the bench press in the weights area of a gym with loads of dudes like flipping, doing whatever like grunting <laughs> and slapping each other on the ass so but then calisthenics is a really it means beautiful strength that's where the where the words um, originates from and i think that that's really ticks a lot of boxes for, for females and also um it's a really great progression through from yoga so they start to play around with some inversion they start to play around with some kind of the basic positions and similar like things that we would incorporate like some basic hand balancing but it brings in the strength side and they see handstand push-ups and they see stuff and, and the, the girls are going, yeah, that's a really natural flow from yoga through to calisthenics. So it's amazing from that sense that we literally have got a massive spectrum of, of, of demographic of people that are interested, which is exciting for us because it's cool. Like you get to work with lots of different people. I love it when um, we sometimes get couples come on. So they'll have, yeah. everyone's got different strengths and weaknesses. And, and I love it when the girl is better than the, because the bloke will be better at like maybe pull-ups potentially. Like, <laughs> Yeah, you know, other things, but then there's always, but there's always things that um, that the girl is gonna then nail him on, and I like rubbing blokes up the wrong way when when that sort of thing. But it's but it's cool because it's like it's nice. Me and my wife did a session on Saturday or Sunday where like we trained together. We'd have never trained together if we were lifting weights because we're just not comparable. But when we're just moving around, she only needs to be strong enough for her 50 kilos or whatever she weighs, and I need to be strong enough for my 80, 90 kilos, whatever I weigh. And I just think that's a really nice. There's another nice aspect to it. And I think like you touched on it earlier, just hearing you guys talk and, and just following you guys being so human, it really makes it tangible to people. And you're just normal blokes out there. And that gives me that little bit of hope. Maybe I could just do it as well. And that appeals to so many different people. You really hit the nail on the head about the, the gymnastics. I mean, you see the gymnastics guys and girls. And it just seems like that's just impossible. It's not even in my ballpark. You know? And then like when you see you guys, you go like, yeah, we can do that. That's pretty cool. And it's not in my ballpark. But we were also just like, and I really, really appreciate that from you guys. And I think that's why you've got that nice cross-section of, of people that follow you. And I, I'd like to also touch on that, Tim, about potential of people. And, you know, obviously you worked with people with physical disabilities and at a very high level. And can you just talk a little bit more about how the progression from that and just seeing the potential in people with real disabilities? For sure. It's a, I've had a, I won't go into too much of the detail, but working with people with disabilities has been part of my life for quite a long time. Um, and it just so happened that when I finished my strength and conditioning qualifications, I needed to get my professional accreditation. And to do that, you have to submit a case study of an athlete that you've worked with. And at the time I was working in sports development and there was another guy called Richard Whitehead who was in the same office, um, double leg amputee. Um, so through the above knee amputee, um, and he was a marathon runner. So I said to him, oh, Rich, like I need an athlete. Do you know anybody who's interested or are you interested? In? And he came back. He's like, yeah, I'm definitely looking to try and take my training to, a, to another level. Um, I'd be keen to work with you. So <clears throat> I walked into the gym, fresh-faced, strength and conditioning coach. I got all these books. And I think I have like, yeah, I flipping know about training now. 
And then you go, actually, now I've got a guy who's not got any legs. So what do we do with that? Because now we can't squat. And the whole of us, uh, whole of our basis of our functional movement assessments would be around squatting patterns or lunging patterns in the most part. So all of a sudden you kind of throw the book out the window and go, I'm going to have to come up with this a little bit differently. And I remember sitting there with trying to write his program. I said to my wife, I was like, I don't know if I can do this. And it was, she just said to me, just take a step back. You're losing like, sight of, the, of what it is you're trying to do. Just get started. So <clears throat> I went into the gym with the program and, and it just started to just evolve. And I loved the problem solving nature of it. Like it's complex. Like you could genuinely put me in a room with somebody who's missing a leg and Usain Bolt and said, which one do you want to train? And I don't care what level that arm amputee is at. I'll train the arm amputee because it's difficult and because other people can't do it because, well, they can't, but they don't know how to, or they've not got experience. And it's, I don't know, like people have slandered me for that, saying it's easy to train Usain Bolt to run one tenth quicker, but it's just not that interesting to me. I would rather go and solve a puzzle. And that means that you then have to be very dynamic and flexible about the training environment. How are you going to recreate positions how are you going to manipulate the environment to be able to actually train so i had a guy that I was working with with a paralympic swim team who doesn't have any hands so how do we we need to do some upper body strength so we'll clip him into things we use straps we kind of give like him a shout gets, out give andy mullen yeah, he's a great guy a legend um and it's uh and you just start to to see training a little bit differently and it doesn't take long before you realize the potential of what some of the guys can do i mean rich is a is a great example of that so over about a year and a half, I was training him and he, he got his, when I first started with him, he'd just gone under three hours for a marathon. So he'd gone 257, I think in Boston. And our next focus competition was Chicago. Um, and then he did another one the year after and he got his marathon time down to 242. And his half marathon time was one hour 14. So that's shifting for, for to say wow. like London by an able-bodied runner will be running roughly say 205, something like that. I think that's somewhere close to the record. Rich was knocking 242 on prosthetics. So this guy was a great athlete. But then he found out that London was going to host the Paralympic Games and he wanted to be part of it, but there wasn't a classification for him as a, as a leg amputee in the marathon, only as arm amputees. So he switched to do a bit of track work and then did a few meets, managed to get a qualification time and then got selected to go to the World Championships in Auckland in 2010, that must have been. And he won it. He won the 200 metres, T42, just straight off the bat. And it was ugly. Like, if you watch the video back compared to how he runs now, he's like, he looks like a, a muscle car, like a Dodge Charger. So he comes around the corner, back end slipping out and he puts the gas down. He's got a, he's got a finish like no one's ever seen before. He could from last place to first place in the space of about 80 metres. And so he now, over the years, again, he went and won, won gold in London, won gold in Rio. So he holds the record for a leg amputee over um, a marathon distance. And he also holds world record for 200 meters on the track. Show me any other athlete in the world that can do those things. You're not going to, like Mo Farah's not going to do that. Usain Bolt's not going to do that. So you, you talk about potential of what these guys can achieve and you learn a lot from them, the mindset that they go into it. And I, I told, one of the first things I told Rich to do was take your, take your prosthetic off and stand on one leg. And no one had ever done that before. And it's this sensitivity around disability. If someone in a wheelchair comes into the gym, the first thing I say to them, I was like, can you get out of your chair? Yeah, I can. Okay, show me. Because I need to see how you move. And it's, it's not being afraid to have those conversations and challenge them. Rich doesn't just get good at balancing on one leg. He gets great at it. It's that mindset. It's the same thing. Performance mindset it flicks into some different kind of mode and he just absolutely excels at, at everything that he, he applies his, his effort to. So I'm very fortunate to have worked in, in that environment with those, those athletes and went to Rio, part of the, the British team last year. And yeah, just a, an incredible privilege to be part of it. I think working with those, like when you talk about, we talked a bit about injuries or and mindsets and things, but like, 
when you go in the gym with like someone like Rich or someone like Andy and you go, you say, can you try this, Andy? And he's got no hands. He doesn't go, oh, I ain't got any hands. He goes, I'll try. Like, it's always like, you know, Rich, do you want to try doing this without your legs on? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll have a go and see what it's like and we'll find a way to make it right, which does, it does bring it home to you sometimes that actually, like, we need to stop complaining about my little sore shoulder that hurts a little bit or whatever, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Um, I remember watching the, first of all, the Olympics, but then the Paralympics uh, at the Olympics in London. And the, the slogan or, or the catchphrase was, here come the superheroes on on ITV. And I must say, I watched every single one of those uh, like hour-long documentaries that they had on the people. And I I've never been more inspired by by somebody, you know, and they all had such amazing mm. stories and had to come over just incredible hardship. And one thing that you touched on now as well, Tim, is like Paralympians also, they, they're just normal hum- humans at the end of the day. So they don't mind talking about, about their disability, uh, but people are scared to do it. So, I mean, I don't actually know what the question is, but I mean, I, I just find those people the most motivating out of everybody so yeah i think it's just it's accepted in what what we are like it's we're all like that we've all got some some things that we maybe deal with in different ways and yes there's bigger and smaller barriers but ultimately like rich is rich was born without any legs that's that's who he is and i think it's different if someone's coming from trauma so if someone's had an experience in let's say for example in in conflict or in, in the military Getting used to living with a disability when you've not had one is a, is a different process. Rich grew up with it, and, and they're, they're not. It's not to say it's any lesser. It's just a different process or a stage of life you've got to go through where you got to accept that maybe you're a little bit different to everybody else, and that you, when you're running around the playground, you're running on prosthetics or, or whatever. But interestingly, Rich signed up to run a marathon, and when he first started, and he was he was going to run on on what he calls cups, but they're basically little rubber hard socks plastic socks sorry that he would put on the end of his prosthetic so he was going to run on his knees and he was he was set out to go to new york to run 26 miles on his knees and it was <laughs> it was two weeks before the marathon that a prosthetics company found out that he was going to do it and they gave him some prosthetics to go and do it so we talk about what people are prepared to do uh, to, to achieve something that, that they want to achieve and, and we think yeah you say you look at look at the paralympic athletes and go well what what does it mean to have a barrier and like put that in perspective. Um, actually, what it comes down to is a desire and a mindset about wanting to achieve something, and you need to work out how to do that, whatever that is for your circumstances. Those guys just have very um, hard hitting stories. Some of them about what they've what they've achieved and been through to do that. It just brings that theme back, and you know, you hear it so often. Just being so grateful for the stuff that we can just do, and I complain about not being able to do a muscle up, <laughs> and you know, like, just hard enough, man. Just hard enough, and get on with it. We've touched on it a couple of times again, like, you know, looking at people and going, well, they're just, they're just, they're just blokes, they're just normal people. And, and saying that about us, and we certainly think that we're like normal people, but I do the same when you look at, you look at anyone. We're all, we're all just flipping humans. And you look at, you look at Usain Bolt and go, he's just another bloke. He's got some great genetics and he's trained and done this, that, the other. And like, I'm not saying I can beat him in a race, but like, I look at him and, and think he's a bloke. And I think that's uh, like whether you guys with your podcast like a really healthy way for for people to not put uh, not put people on pedestals like congratulate people for the things they do but like we're all just blokes like we're all just the same blokes all women Joey you know I mean? we're all we're all just the same like one thing uh, before we wrap up uh, and you you know moving on from the Paralympian stuff which I would 
definitely like to go in again at, at a later stage you guys said that you, you you know you do all the replying to your people on social media etc what about all this content that you put together so far like i mean your websites your ebooks all these things are actually like a really really professional standard so is this something you guys do trick? or, or do there's you there's a trick he's called tim stevenson <laughs> This is what I. This is one of the things I love most. That when people go, like you say stuff like that, like that means a lot to us because it's like we sometimes refer to ourselves as a couple of pirates. Like we're just <laughs> we know a bit about strength and conditioning and whatnot, and we're qualified and accredited and insured and all that sort of market. But it's it like we we have fun with what we're doing. But when we when we when we were going to start the school, we came up with a name because. Um, you know, when we came up with the name Scorecast, it was like, yeah, we want to be able to, we want to teach people something. We don't just want to show them, we want to, we want to teach them. And all of that whole coaching ethos and stuff. And, and Tim was, one of the things that Tim said, and it does ring in my ears like quite often, that he goes, if we're going to do this, we're going to change the game. So like, go away from what other people in calisthenics are doing of just like showing off, and we're going to actually bring some science into this, into this baby. And one of the things that Tim is like, he's a perfectionist. And if something doesn't look right, like it ain't happening. Which is the annoyance of everybody else. <laughs> but it means that the end product that you see... So I remember sitting down with our the guy that... We didn't do our own web design. We got someone made our website. And we're not that skilled techie-wise. But then all the... You know, we don't take our own photos. We've got the guy that does our photography. But everything else that you see is just like stuff that we're doing and, and, and putting together. And it's um, it's just a lot of hard work. Um, we're fortunate that we've got a, a team that's come together to do it. So... Um, I like writing and the perfectionist side of me. I like graphics and it's a little bit, I wouldn't say it's a hobby, but it's just something that I quite enjoy playing around. I'm visual, I'm quite visual. So I like to, to, to cre- be creative in that sort of, in that sort of way. Um, so that's really kind of my strength in pulling together some of what I've learned over the years about training. We've got uh, Dave is just, Dave was the first rugby player on social media. Is that right? Well, when, when Twitter came out, a friend of mine was like, mate, you need to get on this. And I was like, what is Twitter? Oh, this is just looks like rubbish. But yeah. But you, um, you got, you really got into, got into sort it, of using yeah. that. So Dave is like leads on that side of it now. And we've got another guy called Ben, who's, uh, we call, refer to him as a headmaster, but, um, <laughs> he actually works for, um, a sports PR comms agency, uh, sports management. Um, and he, he takes care of a lot of the business side of stuff for us. But the sort of the, I would, I like to talk about like being in the trenches and on the cold face of in coaching in front of athletes in the gym. But and, and from a business perspective, like, we, we do all the stuff that you guys see. All the written content is, is my written content supported by Dave and the marketing and the, the channels it goes out with. That's Dave stuff and Tomo and, um, Ben, sorry. And, and it's, so yeah, we, we were very fortunate. That's one lesson that I've learned having been involved in a couple of business over the couple of year, over the years is that that team to be able to actually do something like this is so important. There's no way if it was me by myself, that would be anywhere near what we, we're currently able to do. And we take time over stuff. It's, you can, we we sell ebooks and people download a PDF and I've got, we've we've bought a few to see what they're like and and they're being disrespectful but they're not great like it's literally a word document that someone's gone save as PDF and it, the content's not even that good but they're, they're charging it so when I said that we want to, I want to change the game that was literally like going out and and that's still the the major focus if we're going to do something we're going to try and do it to the highest standard that we can and it doesn't go out until we're happy with it which well I'm happy with it which is a bit after everybody else is happy <laughs> with it so. <laughs> Anything, anything that you see is just stuff that that we're doing. I think some people, it may, I, I love it when uh, someone's got a complaint or no, no, I don't get a lot of complaints. Someone's got like a query about a workshop or a program or they've got something. They they send a message and then a reply on. It might be on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, and you go, okay, no worries. Um, like just email me 
it's david at scorecardsnetwork.com and then the email comes through hi I was talking to one of your like team that looks after your social media um, and uh, they said to email this person and I'm like yeah it's Jacko that's me <laughs> you know the guy in the video that was doing the thing that, that's us like and I was applying on Facebook and I'm applying to you so while you're discussing that maybe you could just give us a little bit more like what is your preferred contact point and where can people find more information about you guys yeah so the, the, um, we've got, you can find us at schoolofcalisthenics.com um, we've got all of the our training guides and the free beginners ebook is available on there as well so um, if people are interested in getting, getting into calisthenics then we definitely just that's a great starting point it gives you a flavour of, of what we're about yeah. and how we coach and the sort of things that we're going to Talk about exercises that we put out stacks of content on YouTube. Uh, there's loads of free stuff on there that you can just go and watch videos and exercises. We have a challenge Tuesday, different bodyweight challenges, which is a bit of fun, lessons, how-tos. And then there's the social media channels of uh, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, Instagram and Facebook are probably the ones that we, we have um, most yeah. of the engagement on um, in terms of the sort of where we put the content. So just search School of Calisthenics, any of those channels, and you'll find us. Get in touch, guys. We are genuinely like, like we've touched on a couple of times, but it, it is us at the end of the, at the end of the, uh, the mobile phone or the end of the, the, the screen or whatever it is that you're using. Yeah, so. my mobile is actually on the website because you have to, <laughs> for like the payment thing to, for the, 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 they have to have. Don't tell them that. I know. Well, <laughs> when people do. I start get a phone call. There's someone from America keeps ringing me, but I don't dare answer it because it's going to cost me loads of money on my mobile from America. I get a phone call every week from Arizona. <laughs> yeah. We've, we've also got a podcast as well. So it'd be cool to share that. We'll share everything um, in the show notes um, and also like on our uh, social media too. And just, uh, yeah, basically, you know, just kind of want to end it off to say thanks to you boys for pretty much being just such inspiring guys. And, you know, you've, you've actually really motivated me as well now. Like I am definitely going to try and uh, master some of this calisthenics exercises that you guys do i'll also be buying definitely your 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 ebooks um because yeah i i, I actually quit gym about six months ago and started doing oh, yoga nice. so for me this is going to be a great pr- a progression so what do you want to work on what's the uh, what's the goal i'm going to pin you down yes you're going to redefine your impossible they were the words you're, to, you're trying to say my first goal is i want to learn how to do a press to handstand that's my okay. first one Cool. I'll I'll set that as like maybe to do that by December. Is that achievable? Without knowing where you were currently at with your hand balancing ability, but it's a, hand balancing is one of those things that takes time. But yeah, potentially if yeah. you got if you already got a little bit down that journey, then for sure it's it, it all depends on the starting point. But but yeah, three months is not an achieve is it's not unrealistic. All right, all right, hold me to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> but yeah, just finishing off there, like I said, uh, we just wanted to say a massive thank you. Um, like I said, you you guys are a huge inspiration. Uh, you clearly have just worked yourself really, really hard, and you you now are some guys that that everybody looks up to. So thanks for joining us on the podcast, and uh, we really. We really do look forward to going deeper into some more stuff at a at a later stage, hopefully on another podcast. No, it's great. Like, thanks for having us, guys. And, and again, we really like the ethos of what you guys are, are building and are talking about. And um, yeah, we're, we're, it's great to be involved in that and, and uh, share a little bit of time with you guys. And um, I hope wish you guys all the best with what you do because I think it's cool. So I really appreciate well. it, guys. It's you guys have really been amazing, and I just know you're gonna really inspired like Gary said myself and lots of other people and I've got to just add in that podcast in the future far far away uh, I'm going to have to ask about 
you know your trip to Australia because all our Australian uh, listeners are obviously going to want to know more about that. So. <laughs> yeah, book it in. We're keen. <laughs> yeah, we need to do a face-to-face podcast. Don't we? Yeah. We'll all right, guys. Thank you. you so much. Yeah. Thanks a lot, guys. Well, guys, thank you so much for that. How cool was that chat? Uh, really enjoyed listening and speaking to uh, David and Tim. They're such fun guys. They're full of charisma and they they speak so much sense. You know, there were so many subtle lessons in that discussion that we had with them. And uh, we you know, hopefully we get to speak to them again in the future. That'll be really, really cool. Yeah, so just thanks again. It was, you know, we're really grateful to you guys and to your listeners uh, out there. And uh, we will make sure that we put all the links uh, to Dave and Tim and School of Calisthenics uh, in the show notes. Guys, check these two champions out. They're at the top of their game. They know what they're talking about. And uh, they deserve to get a shout out from you guys too. Hey guys, so we've actually come to that part of the show again where we do just want to take a moment to thank you so much for spending your time today and listening with us to another episode of the Ridiculously Human podcast. We do know that you've heard this a million times before, but we really, really love to hear from you guys. So feel free to provide us any feedback by leaving uh, us your comments. And we also know that you've heard this a million and one times before. But we greatly appreciate you subscribing, reviewing and rating the podcast on whichever platform you may be listening to it or watching it from. So guys, please share with anyone and everyone. And we're also available to chat on uh, all social media platforms with any questions and feedback you may have. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you've enjoyed it, guys, we'd really appreciate a five-star review on iTunes. And if you want to put a one-star one on, that's also fine, but we'll just delete it. (laughs) Until next time, class dismissed.